it, it almost always starts with a with a sketch. Because I have kids now, I feel like I don't have as much time in the studio to just make mistakes. So as far as composition, I like to have all that really kind of nailed down in a, in a sketch at first. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't change. Uh, I feel like the experimentation comes when I start painting all these individual elements and cutting them out. And then I kind of use that as exploration. Where am I going to put this? How's exactly it going to sit on this paper covered panel? Because that's how I work. I, I take the paper now and I, I glue it onto wood panels. And I start with just a, a base. And, and sometimes the initial compositions do kind of read a little bit abstract. That's where I like to pretend that I'm an abstract painter. <laughs> By just laying down different types of paper, I primarily work on an arches rough texture because I really like how thick it is. And when you see the pieces up close, very evident that there are cutout elements. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 221st episode, I'm excited to be joined by Alice Stone Collins, who spoke with me all about her amazing mixed-media collage-based works. She collages painted elements on paper into other paper elements and utilizes scrapbooking paper, all of which are started either by sketches or instances of snapshots from all around the neighborhood, her exploration of the suburban life, as well as other travels, and really to explore ideas of the universal, the mundane, and we break all of that down in this episode, so we're very excited to feature her on Studio Break. You can, of course, see her work online tomorrow as part of Artist Mother Podcast's Painting at Night that opens once again March 7th. And she's also part of Create Her, a group exhibition opening March 13th at Kylan Gallery in Atlanta. So be sure and check that out. She also has a solo exhibition in 2021 at Sheridan College. Definitely make sure you visit alicestonecollins.com to check out her work. There are tons of amazing works up there. Again, super colorful and playful, so be sure to check it out before the interview. That's alicestonecollins.com. And, of course, follow her on Instagram at alicestonecollins. If you are new to Studio Break, please check out all of the episodes of Studio Break available on studiobreak.com. You can see we've got a big archive. Each of our posts have images of the artist's artwork as well as links to their website. You can list right there in the default player or just click those links. You can subscribe in iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. So check us out there as well and subscribe. You can also follow us on a variety of social media platforms, so be sure and like our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter, at Studio Break, and of course on Instagram, at Studio underscore Break, to stay up to date with all the new podcasts and see some new work of guests coming up. And of course, it's always great to hear from new listeners and people that enjoy the podcast, so be sure and say hello there. And with that, here's the interview with Alice Stone Collins. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, Alice Stone Collins. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. How are you? Excellent, excellent. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about your work. As I was kind of saying earlier, I've been diving into especially some of the older work, you know, the mm -hmm. installations and kind of seeing a lot of the uh, inclusion of paper collage and, you know, kind of seeing that evolution into your current work is going to be, you know, really exciting to talk about. So could you tell us a little bit about, you know, where you're from and you know, maybe some of uh, your early art experiences. Um, 
I don't know if ponies, uh, <laughs> animals will kind of pick up in, in that area because they kind of show up in the current work. But right. yeah, give us a little something. So I grew up in, in Georgia in a very rural area. It was actually outside of Athens, Georgia, where the University of Georgia is located. But I was about uh, 20 miles outside of there where my parents both taught school. My mom was a elementary teacher and my dad was a science middle school teacher. And it was a very secluded area. Like our driveway was about half a mile long. We lived in the woods. You couldn't see any neighbors. So it's it's kind of interesting because sometimes I think about my, I loved the way that I grew up. It was so nice just playing literally in the woods. I had two pet goats, mm-hmm. <laughs> which my, my uncle gave me, I think, much to the dismay of my mother, <laughs> who was threatening to, I think, kick him under the table at the time. So it was just a, it was a really interesting experience to, to live life like that, especially once I started school. All these kids I went to school with would talk about things, and I would have no idea what they were talking about. We didn't have TV. We, we didn't have cable or satellite, any of that stuff. My dad was a huge connoisseur of old movies. So if I ever wanted to watch anything, it was usually like, and and they were musicals too. So it was usually like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers or Gene Kelly. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was, it was really interesting. I think trying to modulate my life between those two worlds of being kind of thrust into a contemporary society in, in school and with my friends and then coming home and almost disappearing in, into another little world. Mm-hmm. My parents were, were not necessarily artistic. Again, my dad was was more into the sciences. And, but they were very proactive in making sure that they kind of honed the, the fact that I, I really enjoyed to draw. And my grandmother, my dad's mother, was a, a high school art teacher. And uh, I loved going to... Her house in the summers, I would go and usually split my time between my grandparents in the summer because they lived several hours away. And so I would just kind of disappear into her house. She was actually trained as a, as a ceramicist and a sculptor. And her house just, it was always a disaster. So it was kind of everything that my house was not. Everything in my house growing up and my parents' house was kind of just so. And I would go to her house and there would be like wood shavings all over the floor. And she had cats and dogs that would just kind of like roam around. And I just thought it was kind of the coolest, coolest place to be. And she would take me up to her high school classroom during the summer, you know, usually to do cleanup work. And it was, I was just fascinated by it. And then she also, even though she was more of a sculptor, she would sometimes dabble with some prints or drawings that she was doing. She was really involved in history, family history. So sometimes she would do sketches of the the houses and structures and and so she would take them to the framers, and I loved going there with her too. Like I don't even know why there wasn't anything that in, it was just the the process, the way it smelled. It was I still remember going to those places with her. So she was a, a huge influence uh, to just kind of me knowing that I was really interested in the arts, and I think she was also the one that you know, I was telling my parents, well, she's talented. You should, you should kind of push this, you know, going through school. I ended up doing a lot more music than art because in the, in the school system that I was in, you could really only pick one direction. You, I couldn't do both art and music. So I did end up becoming pretty involved in the band. I played the trumpet 
So it wasn't actually until I was senior, junior in high school that I was actually able to take an actual art class. And I think the the reason that I was always so drawn to it is because unlike music or and, and I danced all through elementary, middle school as well. Unlike dance and music where I had to go and I had to practice and I had to do all of these things, art was something that it was it was I was never told that I had to do it or that it was time to practice. And I think that was something that really drew me into it. Mm-hmm. My parents did set me up with two ladies. I distinctly remember teaching me watercolor. Again, both watercolorists and one was very much into landscape. And so like she would have a very kind of predetermined landscape that we would work through when I was a, a, a kid taking from her. And then the second woman that I took from was very in very much into still lifes and specifically fruit still lifes. So uh, I think one year for Christmas, uh, I ended up like giving everyone painted pieces of fruit because they were just all, they were everywhere. (laughs) Sure. Uh, So again, I think I, I still see some of those things coming into my work, especially the medium. I don't necessarily work with, with watercolor, but I've always been more interested in those water-based medias, watercolor, and then gouache is, is, functions in somewhat of a similar manner. Um, so I, I like to feel like gouache is a nice watercolor meets acrylic. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they got married. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was an only child. That's probably pretty important as well. So living in such a secluded area, being an only child, I, I really had to entertain myself. I mean, those goats were not really that entertaining. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not like I could go out and play fetch with them. Sure. So, uh, like I just would tell myself stories, create these different scenarios that I inserted myself in and invented kind of places and narratives for myself when I was a kid. So yeah, definitely has a, a big impact, I think, on my current work and the way that I think about the world. You know, listening to you talk about that, I can really kind of think about how all those things kind of integrate, you know, just kind of being mm-hmm. in a more isolated environment, being on your own to kind of come up with these, I guess, compositions really to kind of even think about it, you know, relative to your work, it makes total sense because there's landscape and then there's all these objects kind of, uh, kind of included in there. So there's always like these figure ground relationships. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you were saying you were kind of interested in music as well. Um, mm-hmm. Like, how did you decide, like, in, in terms of, like, I guess, college to kind of pursue art? Um, I think it was just because I always knew that I wanted to go into art. I knew that was kind of a natural talent. I really enjoyed music, but it was definitely something that I had to work at. And I hated performing in front of people. Now that I think about it, I I never got any like pushback. I think with art, they felt that I would have some more opportunities. I I don't necessarily know why, but uh, (laughs) when I first decided to go into art, I said I was going to be a graphic designer. And so I think that was a way that I could think about making a living and also creating art. Because I did go to the University of Georgia for undergrad. You had to go in and take all these very set standard studio classes, like drawing 2D, 3D, get all those basics out of the way. And then you had to apply for the graphic design program. And I remember I submitted an application. You had to to draw the letter R. Like, <laughs> And I remember thinking, why am I doing this? Like, I don't want to draw the letter R. Like, I have no desire to, like, how am I going to make this different from other people's R's? I remember, though, not enjoying the works that I had to do to submit to my application. And it's something now being a teacher that I always tell my students is you really need to pick something that you enjoy 
working on. Because if you don't enjoy the subject that you're drawing or painting, it is going to be reflected in your work. Right. And I think two times going through that rejection process and just being like, well, I think this means that I don't want to do this. You know, if I'm not enjoying applying to this school, what makes me think I'm even going to enjoy the classes that I take if I were to get into that degree? I kind of switched and I, I just decided to go more just the drawing and painting route. And it's funny because my parents were both teachers, they actually did, they encouraged me not to go into art education because they were very much involved in the education system. And I think they saw that arts were getting cut in a lot of areas. And plus, again, my grandmother at the time was still teaching. She taught high school for 48 years. She did, never wanted to retire. <laughs> and I think she also, she was constantly having to fight for arts programming where she lived and getting decent facilities. And I think she knew that, you know, in the future that that was going to just get worse. So they all three were the ones who were like, you just need to get a, a studio degree. And so that's kind of how I ended up getting into painting and drawing it was actually because I just got rejected <laughs> enough times from graphic design and and really just kind of self-evaluating and being like, oh, I actually I don't I don't think I really want to do that anyway, because uh, actually the work that I was doing in undergrad, I, I was much more drawn to, to drawing. The work that I applied to, to grad school with was mostly drawing. I don't think there was any painting. And it was um, very large scale graphite drawings of figures. Uh, it was heavily based in the figure realm. I would do a lot of commissions using that graphite, pretty photorealistic style. I would just kind of struggle through them. It was hard for me to, to really put my energy and effort behind something that I just didn't really want to do. Mm -hmm. Parents would want their kids drawn. And I just couldn't stand working from the photo references that they sent me. So I eventually started telling them, I have to come and take my own photos. If I don't like the photo I'm working from, it's not going to turn out to be a, a good, good drawing. So uh, that helped that process. It really gave me a, a nice little kind of pillow of, of cash flow when I was an undergrad. But when you're an undergrad, nobody talks to you about this stuff, or at least you, you learn a little bit about it, you know, how to write an artist statement, but to kind of have something that's almost like a business model or to think about it as a mm -hmm. business or putting work out there, it's, it's kind of obviously good practice. And to kind of think about like, in terms of then going into graduate school, you were talking about figurative work. Is that what you started with in graduate school? Did it kind of um, keep exploring? Because obviously there's a lot of installation work. I'm, I'm assuming that was something that kind of came in or kind of related maybe to the more mural kind of painting. So when I was in undergrad, again, I, I took painting classes. We were, I was always painting in oil, and I never quite knew how to use all the different mediums. Like, mm -hmm. they were just so like, what am I supposed to use liquid for? And right. what does this stuff get used for? And so basically what ended up happening was that I just used really thick paint, and it was a great textural quality, but that just became a little bit overwhelming. <laughs> like, sure. I even go back and look at the pieces. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't have, I didn't have an area of rest in this entire painting. It's just all surface activation. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I took kind of the bare minimum painting classes that I had to. I could either be more drawing focused or more painting focused. And so I took the more drawing heavy course load. So, I mean, I took both figure painting and figure drawing, but then instead of taking a separate figure painting class, like a, the next level up, I, I chose to take a, a more um, anatomy inspired, inspired drawing class. Mm -hmm. 
you know, our final year, we could work in whatever medium we wanted to. And so I just said, well, why would I, why would I keep going with painting? I'm going to go back to, to what I feel comfortable with. And, and I did actually really enjoy acrylic paints. I had a fantastic um, 2D design professor. His name was Daniel Finch. And I just, I, I just, he's one of the ones that just stands out. He was actually a, a TA too. Like he, he was in grad school at the time and he was just fantastic. I thought he did a nice job of transitioning us from those really technical skills to then actually having to think conceptually a bit. Mm-hmm. He had us working in acrylic paint and I, I just loved it so much more. So as I was working on like 38 by 50 sheets of paper they were quite large. They would just be a single portrait, but it was everyone doing the exact same thing. Like usually it was a, a pose or a hand motion. And it was people that I worked with and something about having them all do the same thing. Uh, I just found it fascinating. And I was also really interested at the time. I really liked Chuck Close, but I also loved Alice Neal and just how she would, you know, do these these portraits and these one one-time sessions and they were all people that she was close to or would know and and I kind of like that philosophy and again taking the little the more technical approach of of Chuck Close and kind of combining those elements so that was kind of what my I guess my BFA thesis show was about uh, were these large scale drawings of everyone kind of doing the same thing in graphite and then sometimes you know I might paint a random area or Sometimes their appendages were blocked out with like gold or silver leaf. I was really into that material at the time as well. And and just like blank white backgrounds. Like I really liked the stark quality of just the figure and the blank backgrounds. And I actually took a year off. I, I didn't go straight into grad school. I actually got a full-time job working at that bookstore. And that was enough to be like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was good, I think, to take that time off. And and pretty much all the work that I applied to grad schools, I, I did them on that year off that I had between undergrad and grad school. And I think that was good for me to kind of branch out and and not feel like I was trying to please anyone or a professor. And that's actually where some of the cutouts really started to come into place. I would work from photos. I would just take my camera because, you know, cell phone cameras back then were horrible, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't rely. They were just fuzzy blobs. So I would actually take my camera whenever I would go over. Or we'd be at a party and I would just take photos or if I ever had a family gathering. I would take a ton of photos of like my my small cousins. And, and then I would just take those figures and insert them in different places. I would draw them. I would then cut them out and I would collage these large figures on top of each other. Sometimes I thought it was really interesting the way that, you know, Somebody might be mid-bite of something, and but you wouldn't see anything except just their head and their mouth open. And then maybe in another photo, it was just a bunch of hands doing something. And so I would, I would draw those hands and I would cut those out. So I was really looking at more compositional elements. My last semester of, of undergrad, I had taken an art history course on Byzantine art. And I was fascinated by the mosaics. So I'd get off work at five, I'd come home and I would just work in the floor of my apartment. And I had all these, somebody had gifted me like a little origami paper set. And I would just take those origami papers and I would cut them up into little squares. And I would then just collage them onto these figures in certain areas so that you kind of had this mosaic effect, what might be their clothing, or I might do it 
you know, silhouette out like a, a face and just cover the entire face. So that was really when I started to do a lot of cutting out and collaging. And, and then I would mount those pieces on really large map board. Mm-hmm. But that's how I would kind of keep them in somewhat of a square format. But I was really interested in breaking out of that. I think that's what the later installation work allowed me to do. So, you know, that was the the work that, that I applied to grad school with. I got accepted to the schools that I applied to, but the University of Tennessee gave me a, a larger teaching stipend. And I, I kind of just went with that because I was like, well, I, I, I don't really want to have to work. And this is a school that gives me a stipend that I could pay for a lot of my expenses. And is that primarily what you kind of investigated while you were in... Uh, is that primarily what you were kind of doing then when you were in graduate school is kind of working through these, you know, installations and playing around with different, you know, like in some of them, like the the one dating back uh, all the way back to 2007, you know, we've got kind of like what looks almost like an abandoned, you know, strip mall interior versus something, you know, like from the, the year later that is more, I guess, you know, like a regular gallery kind of setting. But I would imagine, again, that was kind of something that was kind of really explored is, you know, how do you take advantage of different spaces or kind of play around mm-hmm. with that idea of, you know, collaging all these paper elements? And again, there's still some figurative elements and it slowly kind of progressively starts to become kind of more representational almost, to mm-hmm. me, you know, in, in just a couple of years from uh, 07 to 09. And I think, you know, like with any grad school experience, they really want you to just stop doing what you're doing. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. I really had to be broken um, because one thing that I had done really well during that year off is that I was pretty prolific, but I was prolific because I knew how to manage my time. And so I would come in the studio and if I was in the studio, I felt like I needed to be making something. I remember some of my studio mates uh, that first year in grad school, I remember they wouldn't be making anything and I would be like, well, I wonder why they're not making anything. Why are they just sitting? (laughs) Sure. And I think though, I had to learn how to sit. So I had to think like, where do I want this to go? So I really kind of had to start thinking about, well, why did all these figures have to be connected to me? Why couldn't I just pull them out of magazines? You know, those were things that I got asked a lot. And, and then I had to start thinking back to that, you know, that goes all the way back to that problem that I had with doing commissions. Like if I didn't have a connection to the person or the photograph, it was just really hard for me to, to make it, to recreate it. And so that's why I couldn't pull from, from magazines. And so that kind of made me realize that I needed to be a little bit more self-reflective about the work that I was doing and why did I need it to have such a personal connection. And that was, I think, what led me into one of my first installation pieces that didn't have any figures in it whatsoever. And that was um, where I just started going back and looking at photos of all the different flooring mm-hmm. that had been in my house growing up, like rugs and tile floor and the wood floor. I was trying to sit and I was trying to process, but I couldn't really get away from feeling like I had to be making something. And the way that I've often dealt with that is to just make the same thing over and over again. So I just started painting those floors over and over and over again as a way to, to figure out kind of, well, why, why does everything that I do, why do I feel like I have to have such a personal connection to it? And, and so that was really help. I think that was a really good piece for me to do to kind of break into a new body of work. Mm-hmm. My intro into grad school was, was also personally, it, it was a hard time in my life. I didn't have a hard time 
you know, moving or starting something new. But my grandmother, who I had always so looked up to, she was diagnosed with with cancer and it she she passed away pretty quickly after the diagnosis that it was just it had gotten progressed too far. So she actually ended up passing away in 2007. And I was in my, my second year, I think. And it was very, like, I didn't realize quite how much her presence was impacting me until she was gone. And, and then again, that feeling of, of history and, and past, uh, I think that was another reason I really needed to kind of dive in and figure out uh, why everything was so personal and why I needed to paint these floorboards and rugs and quilts. <laughs> and sure. I did kind of move out of the, the graphite at that time and just started using acrylic paint, even house paint. How would you kind of describe, like, I guess, the, the end wrap of that? Because not to put my detective hat on, <laughs> but I'm imagining that you have, you know, these spaces then that you can have that are really expansive. And then, you know, to kind of think about the work that comes after, I'm assuming there's some kind of limitation in terms of um, scale and you know, having these massive spaces to work because then it, it noticeably shifts maybe into, I'm assuming what be more like smaller kind of, um, you know, paper-based mm-hmm. works. Yeah, that's uh, a very good observation. <laughs> um, right after I graduated from grad school, I was actually really lucky to be awarded a residency at the Kentucky Museum of Art and Craft, which was great because I was just out of grad school. Again, I kind of had no idea uh, where I was going to be working it was four months, and again, it had a stipend, so it was it was perfect. I go in, and I was, you know, I just needed to be a working artist in the studio, and it, uh, the studio was actually smaller than what I had in grad school. But at the end of the residency, I was supposed to be able to have a, a show, and they had a, a gallery space for me. I really just continued making the exact same work. It wasn't until after that residency ended that I was like, oh, what am I supposed to do now? So. Um, Right. We had no spare rooms in the house that we were living. I started making these really small works and I made them the only way that I knew how, which was just taking that same paper cutout method, but attaching it to just a small sheet of paper and using the paper as my wall instead of the wall. And so I started making these really small pieces about living in a neighborhood like I mentioned earlier, I grew up in the woods. I I had never experienced a situation where I lived in a house that was so close to another house. In undergrad and grad school, I lived in apartments, and that's just a little bit different. But uh, in a in a situation where people put their garbage out and they have mailboxes, I was just fascinated by it. I run a lot, and so I would run through my neighborhood. I was so interested in what people had in their recycling. Like, oh, what are they, what they have for dinner last night? (laughs) (laughs) Being able to tell, you know, I might never see a neighbor come out of their house, but I could tell if they had a dog or a cat or if they had kids. So it was kind of interesting. I could tell if they ate organically. So it was, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was kind of interesting to me. And so I started making work about the neighborhood and, and that's, I think where I became very interested in, well, what's, what's all the same about us, but what's different about us as well. And so that's where I think I was able to take a lot of that really personal stuff that I was doing in, in grad school, but open it up to see how I fit in the rest of the world. And so again, it was, it was was good to force myself to work small. And then I still kept working in the same manner, but my pieces got bigger. So, you know, right after the residency, I was literally doing pretty small, like you know, 16 by 20, 18 by 24 
works that I could literally do at the kitchen. I went back to those big sheets, those 38 inch by 50 sheets of paper and started making really large scale works again, using those papers. And again, through the residency, I had some connections through the art community. So I was able to show my work a pretty fair amount out there. And then I I had my first child. You know, it's funny because I, I know it's a big thing now, like people, but when I was pregnant, I, I never thought like, oh, this is going to completely change <laughs> the way that, that I make work. One reason I was able to continue making work as much as I did after I had her was because, again, I, I was always pretty routine based in the first place. So it was very important that I kind of figure out a routine where I could still get in the studio. And then, But I think the most important thing was I was literally like still in the hospital after giving birth. And I had a couple of fellow artists that I had worked with uh, previously and they called and they were like, we're, we're putting an exhibition together. It's called With Child. And it's all about uh, making work while parenting at the same time. And so literally I had just popped out this kid. <laughs> And it was really helpful because it made me continue to create. And I think I could have very easily gotten like sucked in as so many parents do with just the task that is required from being a parent. So I was able to kind of really think about how my day was structured and that helped me kind of continue making work. And that was a great show. I think it was really helpful. And it also, you know, I was already thinking about the things that that we consume and that we need in our life, again, being so interested in what was in people's trash and having a kid, like you want to talk about stuff in your life, like, you know, <laughs> things that people just give you and you're like, do I really need this? Do, do I, do I need this timer that tells me when I'm supposed to do everything? Right, <laughs> you know? right. Um, and just the, the fact that, that you have all this stuff and you don't really, do you really need it? So uh, I really started contemplating just consumerism in general. We ended up moving to uh, Colorado in 2013 uh, because of a full-time job that he was able to get. And uh, so we kind of packed everything up. And that was another thing I, I really had to start thinking about all this stuff that we had because we were literally moving across the country and we were downsizing a lot. It was a very small um, condo that we moved into. It wasn't, it wasn't even considered a, a two bedroom because my daughter's room didn't have a closet. So it was like a one bedroom with an office. So we had to get rid of a lot of stuff. And so that I think really was influencing my work then. And even after we got out there and settled and I started to make work again, it was just kind of interesting being surrounded by all the beauty that Colorado had to offer. And I was constantly looking for like, cause I didn't know my way around. So like, Oh, where's the nearest target? Where can I, where can I find this stuff? So it was just kind of funny that I was kind of oblivious to the place and, and more interested in, in stores that I needed to, to purchase things from. So that definitely made its, its way into to the work as well. And, and then I, uh, had my second child mm -hmm. and that was really where I struggled. There's something about adding, adding, having two children as opposed to one. It was very hard for me to make work. Him working full time in Colorado was very, like I was alone in during the day a lot with, with two kids and it was just hard. It was very hard for me to, to make work. And so I, I still continued after my second daughter was born, but 
but it was definitely more of a challenge because I had a, a toddler and a newborn and the newborn was actually a piece of cake compared to the toddler. <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was more figuring out how to navigate creating with, with both of them. And so again, after some, some time out, I guess we were in Colorado for about three years and then it was a rough, rough transition. Cause I left a community that I had really strong connections to in Louisville. I, I had places that where other artists knew me and I knew other artists and it was really hard moving to Colorado with a child and then having another one because I felt like I never really submersed myself very well into that community. I taught with a community college when I was out there and I was I also taught at night. So any type of event that was happening, I wasn't really able to, to go to it because I was either teaching or kind of doing the whole family thing. So I feel like my my art making my career really definitely hit kind of a, a stalled out period during that time in my life. And, um, and then my mother was diagnosed with cancer in 2016. My partner and I, we made the decision together to move back to Georgia where mm-hmm. he's from. And, you know, I'm originally from, but neither one of us had lived here for quite some time. And, and so we kind of went through that whole process again of moving. So this is, you know, just three years later <laughs> that we're moving again. It's the only time in my life where I just I just didn't make any work. I took just a year and I just didn't do anything. It wasn't that I didn't have ideas. I just didn't have the motivation where my life had been so routine based. I just kind of had to to keep routine to to stay afloat. It was a very hard move. There was a lot going on. My husband, while he did agree to move back here, it was definitely not what he wanted to do. And he was dealing with a good amount of depression. And it was very hard to kind of keep him afloat, find preschools for my kids and get a house. It was, I felt extremely overwhelmed. And, um, and that's the only time that I just had no desire to kind of make anything like it was just all I could do to kind of get through just the day. And then I think, well, I guess it would have been about six months after we moved here. It was um, Amy Rydell, who you interviewed back in 2006. She had posted that she had this interview and I listened to it and it was just so inspiring to listen to her talk. She was talking about her own mother kind of going through cancer and how it can just deplete you. And and I think I was feeling really guilty about it. And it was so nice to feel like, oh, this isn't something that I should feel guilty about for not making work. Like, there is a lot going on. Like, it's okay to, to not make work. And that goes back again, like, even when I was thinking about entering grad school and feeling like I had to make all the time. Like, I think it's okay sometimes to be more reflective and let life kind of just happen. So I was listening to her. And then, um, and then I think during that time, I was really reflecting back, you know, onto my, my grandmother again. And, you know, after her death in 2007, like she was still a very important part, but you know, other things like your own kids kind of take precedent. And, and so dealing, especially with my husband's depression and the inability and, you know, my mom's cancer treatment, which, you know, she's, she's good now. She's healthy. But it was it was it was hard. And going back and thinking, you know, my my grandmother, her husband died very early on. My my dad lost his father when he was 17. And and somehow she managed to still put her three kids kind of through college. And and she was still teaching and still making her own sculptures. And because 
she was thinking uh, about kind of the diminishing arts and public education, she she started a scholarship basically selling her ceramic pots for like, you know, 25 to 60 dollars and she raised like $60,000 wow. before she died to to the scholarship foundation and it's still going on to, i think it's at $90,000 today and it's still awarded every year the scholarship and so i was like if if she can do that and if she's my biggest role model then i can i can get downstairs to my kitchen table and i can try and make something again <laughs> so um, uh so i did and the first couple of pieces they were horrible <laughs> you know it's like you're looking at them and you're thinking oh my gosh I broke myself <laughs> like I just but then I just kept doing it and every night I kept going back down and getting getting the work back out and, and making I was still working in the same manner cutting pieces out uh, collaging them down and that's really when I started working in gouache I there I had always kind of struggled with acrylic paint. I was always looking for the most matte paint I could find. And so finally I was like, well, why don't I just work with gouache? So I went back to gouache and I really loved it and just kind of kept kept going. And so it was a slow start. It was slow to get back into it. It was slow to kind of find my rhythm and my groove. And I feel like since making work again, and my kids have always kind of influenced my work, but especially in the past couple of years, I feel like their presence is really there uh, without their physical beans. Again, I'm not really having a huge figurative presence in my work for a long time. They're definitely there. People are there. It's just kind of the, the effects of people on the landscape and on society is more what I'm interested in documenting. And again, thinking back to the trash, like, how are we all the same? How are we all different? Like we live in the suburbs now. It's the first time we've ever lived in a subdivision. And mm -hmm. it's so fascinating to me that I can look down the street and sure. see a house that looks exactly like mine, but it's a different color. I took my younger daughter to a play date just, just a year ago. And the person's house on the outside is completely different, but I walked on the inside and I think I'd been there for like 45 minutes before I realized that their house was exactly the same on the inside. It was the exact same floor plan. And just that really strange sensation of like, oh, this is this is my kitchen, but just with different things in it. So sure. So the you know the everyday, the mundane. I I feel like especially when I took that break from doing work, like you know, I think it was me finally realizing, well, I could make work about that. Like this is probably these are probably things that a lot of people are going through. Maybe different scenarios, but they're probably feeling the same thing. So what if I just made work about it? And and that was, I think, really where the current work kind of came from was was realizing that, yes, we're all kind of going through similar things. But how can I how can I make it more interesting? How can I make it more accessible? How can I make fun of myself and also comment on some of the problems with it as well? Could you describe the, the process a little bit about, I guess, how you go from maybe taking an observation could be just seeing you know, something in a garbage can that's going to be like, oh, you know, I could see this as a, a type of uh, work. And how does how does that all work in terms of coming up with a composition and then, you know, putting it together? So I do still run. And, um, and a lot of times I do run in the neighborhood. And, and sometimes if I see something interesting, I'll take a photo of it. I'll, and I, the, ho the house that we live in has actually made it into numerous pieces. So I'll, I'll take like images just from my run and then 
for example, like over the holiday, you know, I had to go to a gingerbread making workshop at my younger daughter's preschool and watching her kind of construct this, you know, milk carton gingerbread. And I'm watching her put all of these pieces together and, uh, you know, she's so proud of it. And I'm taking photos of it and then like getting back home and pulling up into the driveway and imagining what our house would look like if it was covered with candy <laughs> and, and also thinking about, you know, how I live literally so close to these houses that are next to me. And most of the people I, I know nothing about them or I just know what they want me to know, but what happens inside the houses, same way that they don't really know anything about me. Like they don't, they don't know why we moved here or anything going on with family life. So I think that's why I've often gotten questions about, well, why are your windows always dark? Why, why are the part of it is because I'm also thinking about how, even though I'm making this, this work about my neighborhood that I don't necessarily know that much about the people who live here, or I just know what they want me to know by the type of car they drive or you know, if they plant flowers in their yard or if they don't mow their grass, <laughs> it's just, um, it's all these different things that, that I, I think about. And I, I think it's so fascinating to me because of where I grew up and never having neighbors close by and never experiencing something like that. So I'll take these images and, and then it, it almost always starts with a, with a sketch. Cause I have kids now, I feel like I don't have as much time in the studio to just make mistakes. So as far as composition, I like to have all that really kind of nailed down in a, in a sketch at first. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't change. Uh, I feel like the experimentation comes when I start painting all these individual elements and cutting them out. And then I kind of use that as exploration. Where am I going to put this? How's exactly it going to sit on this paper covered panel? Because um, that's how I work. I, I take the paper now and I, I glue it onto wood panels. And I start with just a, a base. And, and sometimes the initial compositions do kind of read a little bit abstract. That's where I like to pretend that I'm an abstract painter. <laughs> By just laying down different types of paper. I primarily work on an arches rough texture because I really like how thick it is. And when you see the pieces up close, very evident that there are cutout elements. But I do experiment, or I've recently started experimenting with more decorative papers. And so I feel like this goes back to some of the work that I was doing before grad school with the origami uh, mm -hmm. paper. Except now I paint on top of it. The last piece I did, I was really interested in using some marbled rice paper and seeing how the, the paint sits on top of it versus the more absorbent arches. I also started dabbling a lot with scrapbook paper just because I would utilize it sometimes for the patterning. Um, like there's a couple of pieces that I've done where they have bricks in them. There's one that was really fun to do, which was actually a complete scene. I didn't, I didn't really alter it at all. I was on a run one morning and there was a dead deer at the front of our subdivision and it was laid out so nicely. Like <laughs> where I think someone had actually pulled it off to the side of the road where it had gotten hit, but it was, it was like an offering. And then, um, it was also around Labor Day, so it was just so ironic to me that you had this kind of sacrifice of this deer at the front of our neighborhood, and yet it was surrounded by these American flags, which kind of spoke on more global terms a little bit to me. Entrance to our subdivision has this brick 
I don't know what it's called, but it's what the name of the subdivision is usually like a, I guess it's kind of like a gate, but it doesn't really open or close. It's just an entrance and it's made out of brick. So I bought this brick patterned scrap of paper and I kind of built it like almost like you would Legos. Like I would cut out different strips and make the bricks go the direction that I wanted them to go. So that was, that was really fun. I really enjoyed doing things like that. And then painting on top of it. And again, seeing how the gouache paint sits differently on papers like that, that are not very absorbent. So I, that's what I'm really kind of exploring right now is the different paper qualities and, and seeing how I can get paint to, to sit differently and how I can use papers that already have patterns on them and how I can let those patterns naturally appear in the work uh, so that you, you, you're trying to figure out what's happening? What's going on? Is this painted? Is it printed? I, I kind of like having a little bit of that uh, confusion at first. Well, it's interesting too, because, you know, moving from the older work, which is literally straight paper to more and more manipulation, it has such a rich quality, but then mm-hmm. there's still that aspect. I'm sure that when you're seeing them in person of that kind of almost collage type element or where there's those aspects that kind of have a sense of flatness to them as well. Mm-hmm. Again, I feel like we're kindred spirits as I'm sitting here looking at my work and thinking about the, mm-hmm. the photo transfer areas of my work that kind of do something similar. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's, again, really interesting to kind of think about how that, that's kind of evolved. There's a piece that I was especially looking at, again, one from like a current year is this, uh, your piece <laughs> called Buddy System with all these kind of yeah. buses uh, solidified mm-hmm. with, within a sunset. And I don't know, there's just there, there's like a painter quality that reminds me of uh, Wayne Tebow. I just love seeing all the kind of painterly quality and kind of the tricks that you start kind of coming up with this. Is that something that's also kind of fun to play around with in terms of the challenge of working through one of these is to kind of see... I don't know, in a weird way, almost like what you can get away with in terms of some of these. Yeah, no, that's a good question. So the the buddy system piece specifically, like um, my older daughter, uh, like she drives me crazy asking to ride the bus all the time. Like, and I get so tired of, she's never ready for school on time. And the bus comes before seven. And I'm like, you can't ride the bus. You would never be ready for the bus. And so I, I feel like we spend a lot of time in our house talking about the bus <laughs> and, um, And I see so many buses, like we have the elementary buses and the middle school buses and the high school buses, and they all come at different times of the day. So I was thinking about that. And then we took a hike. It's actually, you know, Stone Mountain is is well known in the state. But the first time that I've actually been back to Stone Mountain since living in Georgia was a couple of, uh, well, like last month, kind of hiking up that mountain. And it's just very interesting to me thinking about the monument that's carved on the mountain. And so I'm thinking about all of this. And so that's kind of how the sketch comes out. The sketch happened because I did a a very brief sketch when we were on Stone Mountain, just when we got to the top of the mountain. And uh, I was really interested by the rock formations. And then thinking about state of Georgia (laughs) and thinking about public education and thinking about issues that are are not new. I mean, they're all kind of old. uh, But how can I talk about them in today's society? How can I kind of bring these these concepts back up in a slightly playful, but also somewhat, you know, scary way? Like where I guess the buses, like they're just kind of hurtling over this mountain. And it's one thing when you see one bus, but what happens, you know, if there's seven or eight? So in the sketch that I did, there was actually only about three or four buses um, and they were all in a straight line. But then you're right. Like once I start 
you know, putting those base layers down. And then I realize I need more of them. Sometimes I do a piece and I I paint way too much. So I am very interested in in the subject matter and and how these different elements can emphasize what I'm wanting to do. But but like you said, I'm also like composition is a huge thing for me. And if I feel like I'm almost more willing to change a piece based on the composition than I am based on what I want it to say, because really, I mean, I have something in my mind that I'm trying to speak to, but I want everyone to be able to access the piece and enter it. And I mean, people who look at this, uh, they're not going to know that it's Stone Mountain. And I don't necessarily want them to know. I want them to get what do they think all these buses mean? What do on this kind of barren landscape? What does it mean to them? So, so that's kind of my my thought process. Sometimes I don't necessarily know until after it's been made, and you know maybe several months after it's been made, and I'll be looking at it and be like, oh, that's what I was trying to do. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> well, and it's interesting because like we talked about this piece earlier, but the there's a piece called Two Paths from 2019 which mm-hmm. has this, you know, kind of, um, I believe a washer, mm-hmm. you know, kind of in this yeah. wood with all these kind of like scattered clothes throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could kind of see like, again, maybe somebody coming into this, you know, starting to try to piece together a narrative. Obviously it's something that we could identify with just cause it's universal. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of in this weird, you know, kind of setting, but I'm also kind of curious then as a maker, I'm assuming that the, the paper collage kind of allows you to really kind of edit this as you're playing too. So that, you know, if you paint a bad washer, you're not using that one. You can collage something over the top of it and and replace it. Is that something that kind of maybe eases that sense of preciousness as opposed to if it was just like a direct painting on canvas and there's no collage element? Yes, yes. And I love that you are perceptive. <laughs> Again, uh, that's very much how it is. Uh, and I think that's one thing, you know, I, I talked about never really being able to in a traditional painting class I always really struggled with those and I I think that's why because you know I also think that's why I really liked drawing is because you had that eraser right in drawing you have an eraser (laughs) in painting sure I guess you can wipe things out but I always felt like I would get too far to to then wipe it out and then I would be discouraged and with the collage element you're you're right like I can put it down if it doesn't work like who cares? Like I'll make something else and put it down or maybe it just needs to be moved three inches to the right and it works or maybe it needs to be turned upside down. So I do like that flexibility with the collage, you know, even with some of those buses, like what happens if I chop one in half and, you know, I don't use the second half of it. And that's also why I started using the scrapbook paper. For instance, when I was kind of constructing that brick sign at the front of the subdivision if I would have spent all that time painting that I would have been really discouraged if something would have happened and I would have you know messed it up or wouldn't have been able to use it why did I spend all this time but somehow it mentally feels different when I'm just cutting out pieces of paper and gluing them down to to basically build it because then if I if I paint those shadows on it and it doesn't work oh well I'll just make another one yeah, so it definitely takes a lot of that preciousness o- away from certain elements. There's another piece from 2019 called um, Elisimo del Grass. And, you mm-hmm. know, we've got like an interior that's just kind of like stacked with boxes and kind of, I don't know, it's it's interesting. It's almost like it kind of reminds me of, um, I don't know, thinking about something that's maybe fragmented or kind of thinking about how all these pieces come together mm-hmm. or, you know, these fragments come together to kind of make a composition. 
But again, it's just, it's really interesting to think about that playfulness of it. Or like I was alluding to earlier, one of the more recent pieces with the, you know, the ponies, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you can still see that there's like those waffle iron type looking front door Mm -hmm. (laughs) or front garages, essentially, and some of the the distant, um, you know, exteriors of uh, the home. Also, I'm assuming it's something that makes it exciting to kind of have a wacky idea and just be like, oh, let's see if I can kind of pull this off. Yeah, exactly. And that was, again, from like, it's a cul-de-sac in our neighborhood. And, um, and then those horses are actually my, my kids have these plastic, they're not my little ponies, they're just plastic horses that they play with. And they're all, you know, they're, they're made from a mold. So they're all the same, but they're all painted to look different. And so it was, you know, again, like, you're, you're right, the sketch is initially made as just kind of a funny observation, like, you know, that the fact that these horses, are are half the time they get dragged into the studio space which is just a spare bedroom in our house and you know sometimes I will have worked in here for like a week and they've never moved they're just here (laughs) and um, and so thinking about those and how they're they're all the same but they're painted to be different very much in the same way that the houses in our neighborhood are and then I started researching my little ponies in general, uh, just because thinking about the concepts of ponies and horses and plastic figures. And so my little ponies have these, these things on their hips that are, they're called cutie marks. That's what they're (laughs) called. And they all mean different things. And, um, and then apparently like these, these ponies can be born with cutie marks or they can acquire them. And it's about a certain, job that you have. And that took me down this whole windy road of like nominative determinism and like how, you know, do people do things based on their names? And like, it just was this, and you know, then I'll realize that I've spent like 45 minutes reading about this stuff and it's right. just, so it's funny, but it, it, it also gets a little bit dark too, in a way, uh, thinking about the, just the way that, you know, certain people buy certain cars because they, want people to look at them a certain way or going to HOA meetings in the neighborhood. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Like, uh, why doesn't this person um, have a, 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 you know, a weed company come? So it's, it's thinking about these things that we're all, we, we all experience and deal with, but, but how can we just kind of laugh about it Mm -hmm. a little bit Um, and just see that, uh, you know, are we literally entering the world of, of my little ponies? Is that kind of what we're, are we are we creating our own cutie marks that we could like wear around on our sleeve? So they're definitely created from a place of, of humor, but also sarcasm, I think. I would imagine, too, like when they're shown together, there's there's a little bit of that as well. Because, I mean, again, you've got something that's super artificial, like the, like the colorful mm-hmm. ponies versus that, you know, piece that you were talking about earlier breaks uh, from 2020 mm-hmm. with the with the you know, dead deer. And we've got these kind of, you know, miniature American flags. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of like a, a little bit different flavor in terms of the take on it. So and right. kind of exploring that topic, you kind of give, you know, some different takes on it mm-hmm. to maybe kind of talk about that and open it up to a viewer to kind of think about, you know, things that might be slightly more serious versus something that's more playful and kind of talking mm-hmm. about, you know, a universal experience on both ends of that. So again, it seems very, I guess, inviting for that viewer to kind of you know, piece together how these pieces relate to, relate to their own life. Right. And and I'm glad you say that because that's definitely what I, what I want them to do. I want all the work to be accessible. And, you know, sometimes I think, you know, because I have kids, you know, I don't want to be making work that's just about the concept of, 
caretaking and motherhood. Um, so I really try and be conscious about that. So you, you do have some of the pieces that, you know, have the washing machine, which is definitely going to, you know, make a comment on more domestic activities. But I'm hoping that by placing it in a different environment, they were able to contemplate it a little bit differently, you know, at a time of day. Uh, and, and the same with the, the buses and yeah, all, all the work. Like, I, I want anyone to be able to access it, whether they you know, live by themselves or they're um, caretaking for someone else or uh, in school. I, I want there to always be an entry point for the viewer. You know, there's something interesting about, you know, these looking really slick and realistic from a distance, but then that kind of expectation that kind of shifts when you kind of get close to it and recognize that there are these collage elements, Mm -hmm. you know, that paper is something that we think about as recyclable. Mm -hmm. And that kind of brings up another, almost like, I don't want to say environmental aspect to it, but paper is kind of an interesting metaphor to think about that as a, not only as a universality, but something that, you know, might change or kind of get weathered or get aged or be something that is kind of thrown away. So, I mean, to think about some of that relative to our experiences too becomes, I don't know, something that's really fascinating to think about, like I said, something that at a distance looks really slick. And then as you get you know, close to it, maybe you start thinking about it in a slightly different way. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think I really thought about that when I was making those installation, well, those larger pieces, because you could pretty much only display them once. Uh, and it's kind of interesting because it would be so much paper, right? Mm-hmm. But I would put them up because I was really interested in kind of what, what you're saying with paper. And also that paper is a tool that we also use for learning. Like you write on paper at school. It's a, it has this didactic kind of learning quality that everyone uses, I guess. And I would staple it to the, I would use a staple gun. That's how I put everything up on the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of liked that quality that, it, it was kind of a one-time shot, you know, <laughs> like once it came down, you really weren't going to put it up again because it just wouldn't look the same. And I, I did reuse a lot of the pieces. I would cut them into other things or cut them down or do different things with them. Um, so they did get reused, but in a, you know, sometimes I'd even flip them over and use the opposite, the backside to paint something else on them. So you're, you're right. Yeah. That, that reusable, recyclable quality I was interested in with the earlier pieces as well. Well, and, you know, again, just having talked to Nick Satinover, who is a printmaker talking about, you know, these odds and ends, you know, collage elements of, you know, fragments of prints, I would imagine you have bags of, you know, fragments of half buses, like you had mentioned earlier. And I do quarter years. Yeah. <laughs> I do. And actually it's funny. Cause, um, I, I mean, I think I used to be a little more precious about those. Like, oh, what if I, what if I need that scrap? And I, I actually still, I'm, you know, if I like paint a sheet of paper brown because I'm going to cut out trees or something, then I do save any scraps because what if I need more trees later? But for very individual elements, like if I, if I do, if I paint too many buses or like with that deer piece, I went back and forth about does it need a wreath on it? <laughs> does it like I had all these little elements and. And um, my older daughter, who is eight and who often likes to come into the studio with me, she takes them and makes her own little collages out of them. And so it's really interesting to see how her pieces kind of come together with these fragments of my painted elements. And yeah, so they do get used. (laughs) Sure, sure. Well, and you were, you know, again, kind of describing very early on that like some of your reservations for oil painting kind of almost led you down this path a little bit too. But, you know, obviously kind of looking at the work 
as it's kind of transitioned, like I said, it becomes more and more slick, more and more painterly. I mean, do you feel like it's kind of a little bit different from where you started out? And that's maybe an, a loaded, obvious question, but it's just so much more developed in terms of you know rendering those kind of realistic qualities that it's really interesting to me to think about the formal qualities too, because obviously, like the color sensibility is you know, just continually gotten stronger and stronger and stronger, you know, the more that you kind of delve into that paint aspect of it. So it's, again, kind of interesting to think about where you started versus maybe where you think about it, you know, now. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, when I first started doing, um, well, even the installations, everything was very flat. Mm -hmm. It was all because of the scale. I didn't have time to necessarily render things the the way that you would traditionally do in a in a smaller piece. So yeah, when I started working on in smaller formats, again I I kind of kept working in that flat mentality, but then I realized it was really working with the starting with the gouache where I started doing a lot more blending, um playing around with different brushes and and realizing I could have some areas that were flatter and some areas that were more painterly. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, I think just development over time. Like I said earlier, if I would have continued to take those painting classes, I'm sure I would have discovered all of that. But I I wanted to kind of go back into that comfort zone of drawing where I didn't have as many elements that could be manipulated mm-hmm. in a way. So, so I do think just going into the gouache has really helped me. Which is funny because when you think about it, I, I would think that acrylic paint would, would be kind of more painterly. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I've developed a lot more of those painterly qualities and renderings through through the use of gouache. I would think the fluidity is kind of similar, you know, or the immediacy, mm-hmm. like kind of like drawing, you know. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. And something I'm curious about, too, you know, we've talked a little bit about, obviously, you know, shifting from these larger installation pieces to, you know, smaller works. I mean, is the current work a particular size? Like, again, one of the one one of the notes that I had as I'm working through these is a piece from last year again um, called Look What the Cat Dragged In. Mm-hmm. It, it seems so much more close up than some of the other works. So I kind of again love the kind of play with some of these larger exterior kind of landscapes versus interiors versus mm-hmm. something that feels like a close up. But what's the, the scale of uh, the really, I guess, more current work? So that one that you referenced is, is pretty small. It's about 16 by 16 inches. Um, I have slowly started working larger because, again, when we lived in Colorado, we lived in we lived in two different places, a very small condo and a townhouse. And the, while the townhouse was bigger, I still did not have a traditional studio space. There was no room. So I was working at our dining room table. And then I had kind of a storage closet that I keep everything uh, when I wasn't working. And so some of the, the size of the work has been determined by the, the spaces that I had. So since living here... While I had more space, I felt like it was also something that I had to transition to get mm-hmm. bigger. So, uh, so I've kind of just been going up in, in size a little bit at a time. So, you know, when we first moved here, I was making those smaller pieces, usually 16 by 16, 18 by 18. The buddy system piece is probably the biggest piece I've made in quite a while, and it's 24 by 30. Mm-hmm. And then I'm making a piece right now that that's kind of a companion piece to that using Amazon vans and mm-hmm. it's a it's about the same size. So, yeah, so I'm interested to see when I get this piece done how it cuz I, I kind of want them to be paired together. I think that's how they'll best be seen. <laughs> 
well, it'll be interesting to think about how automation, you know, radically changes <laughs> even the work, you know, as, as, right. as vans become more peopleless or, mm-hmm. you know, again, I think we all kind of have this uh, dream of a future Jetsons like right. utopia, but I don't know if, it, you know, like, again, there's always going to be those remnants. Um, and even that could be something interesting to think about relative to the work and mm-hmm. kind of going a little bit tangential here. One of the other things that I was curious about, you know, to think about, uh, the processes are are you kind of working these you know one at a time or do you have a couple going at the same time or that's a really good question so i've actually just recently i used to only work on one at a time i felt like it was kind of the only way that i could do it because i would have so many different parts uh, but just recently i have i've started trying to work on at least two at one time because again sometimes because of my task oriented and routine based personality mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't let the piece I was working on breathe enough or I, I felt like I was making decisions a little too quick sometimes just based on getting to the next step. So having another piece to kind of go back and forth with has actually helped because, you know, like maybe I don't need to be gluing things down one day. Maybe I'm just not in that space or I'm, I'm I need to to be kind of just like laying down those initial collage layers. Like maybe that's where I need to be. So I haven't really gone beyond having two going at once, but I do feel like that it's actually beneficial for, for the pieces to, to be working on at least two at the same time. And it's been a pretty recent development. I think also just uh, because of space, like again, when I was, when we were in Colorado and again, right after we moved here, I didn't even have this, this space of a spare bedroom when we first moved to Atlanta. My kids were actually in two separate rooms, so it wasn't until I put them in a room together that I was able to kind of take over this space, and that's been relatively recent. So I think having more space has really allowed me to work on more than just one at a time. I'm curious in terms of a process, too. Is there a particular glue that you wind up utilizing to kind of get these all to kind of uh, come together? Because I'm I'm sure that there's a concern a little bit of obviously – you know, making them something that lasts and is archival or at least, yes. you know, something that doesn't uh, fall apart. <laughs> so what's that process been like? Uh, yeah, that's a good question as well. I, I have been through a lot of different glues. I used to use like a more I th- this PVA, I, th- I mm-hmm. think is what they're called, based um, glue. And, and I just never was really happy with it, especially when I was working. Before I started mounting them to wood panels, it would still cause a lot of buckling in the paper that I never liked. Mm-hmm. So I actually, somebody recommended that I use Yes Paste, which is actually a, a scrapbooking glue. It's for if you're making scrapbooks. It's it's actually a really thick glue, but you can thin it down. It's acid-free. And it is really the, the best thing that I have found. I put it on with a, with a brush. It doesn't, even when I wasn't gluing these to wood panels, it never caused any type of, of buckling. It's a little bit slow to dry, which is actually good because if I put something down and I decided I didn't want it there, I could peel it back up. It The glue dries clear and it also can just be wiped off. Like um, I have to be careful with that more so with the gouache than I was with the acrylic paint because even though I'm using an acrylic gouache, it's still will come off if I, you know, rub it with a, with a rag or something. So I have to kind of be a little more conscious about gluing stuff down, but yes, Pace, I mean, I've been through several different types of glue and it's been the one that I've consistently used the longest. So yeah, I'm happy with it. And is there a particular gouache brand? Ugh, I got to say that again, cause I just said gouache. 
<laughs> the inner studio dork in me is is asking that you know like what kind of paint specifically is there a specific brand are you one of those people that has to have a specific brand or is it like all kind of a combination of different types so like i mentioned i initially used gouache when i was on a residency in grad school and i had bought two different types i bought the the holden the acrylic gouache and then i bought a more traditional i don't i don't even remember what brand it was but it was a more more like watercolor where i could uh, kind of get rid of it or re-wet it i guess and I think because I'd been working in acrylic for so long, I responded more to the acrylic polymer gouache. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of what I use. So it claims that it's gouache, but it functions a lot like acrylic paint because after it dot dries, I'm, I can't re-wet it and work back into it necessarily. So in that way, I feel like it responds a lot more like acrylic does. You know, it's been fascinating to kind of hear how you're kind of building all these. And and I'm curious, again, we talked about maybe briefly at some point earlier, you know, you have a number of, uh, you know, exhibitions and things kind of coming up. Maybe talk to us a little bit about what, what's uh, in the near future for showing some of these works. Yeah. So I'm part of the uh, Artist Mother podcast online exhibition that actually opens tomorrow so march the 7th and we'll be up online and then in the atlanta area i have a couple of my pieces included in a group exhibition at the kyland gallery uh, and i believe that opens the 14th and it will be up until may so it'll be up for quite a while and i have a couple couple of pieces in that it's called create her and then coming up in 2021, I'll, I'll continually be uh, prepping for a solo show that I have um, at Sheridan College in Wyoming. So looking forward to that. It'll be the first time in a while that I'll see uh, more than, well, I guess this past summer I had about eight pieces grouped together in a three-person exhibition, but this will be my first solo show in, in quite a while. So definitely since um, having two kids. <laughs> exciting, exciting. Yeah. And, and just remind us too, obviously website, alistonecollins.com, but you know, where, where are other places that you, uh, you share work? I'm sure that you're probably not on Friendster anymore, but, um, if you remember, <laughs> what, if remember that, um, but where else can people find your work? Uh, so Instagram, I post pretty frequently there, any in progress. I like to do time-lapse videos. I'm always really interested in how things are made. So I like to show people how I make things. So I'll do time-lapse of me painting and gluing and, some of even cutting. So yeah, and that's just Alice Stone Collins at Alice Stone Collins. Yep. Awesome. Well, again, it's been really fun hearing you talk about this work and, you know, exciting that you've got all these shows coming up and especially the solo exhibition to come for. Again, I know there's always kind of like a something to look forward to when you kind of actually have all these things up finally somewhere so you can go see them. It's kind of a weird experience to go from the studio, <laughs> seeing them in you know, this new space. So, right. Well, yes. And, and thank you so much. I've really enjoyed chatting and talking and it's always, always fun to, to go down deep about your process and get some of those things out that you might not even have known you were thinking about. Absolutely. So. <laughs> absolutely. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thanks once again to Alice for joining me. Be sure and check out her work at alicestonecollins.com and follow her on Instagram at alicestonecollins to make sure you don't miss out on any exhibitions or new work. You can, of course, see her work 
online tomorrow as part of Artist Mother Podcast's Painting at Night that opens once again March 7th. And she's also part of Create Her, a group exhibition opening March 13th at Kylan Gallery in Atlanta. So be sure and check that out. She also has a solo exhibition in 2021 at Sheridan College. If you enjoyed today's episode, visit studiobreak.com and check out some of our archived episodes like our recent interview with printmaker Nick Satinover or painter Mitchell Johnson. All of our posts have images of artists' artwork as well as links to their websites. You can, of course, subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, so be sure and do that. And, of course, if you would be so kind or if you know anybody that might like this podcast, please help spread the word or Leave a positive rating. It always earns you some karma points for the studio. If you want even more Studio Break or you don't want to miss something, be sure and like our Facebook page. You can also find us on Twitter at Studio Break and, of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. And it's always great to hear from those that like this podcast. So if you enjoy it, please give us a shout out there. Say hello. Thanks once again to Skylar Mail, who provides the music to Studio Break. You can check out his work at SkylarMail.net. If you're at all curious what I make, you can check out my work at davidlinway.com. There's plenty of paintings up there to peruse. You can also follow me on Twitter at David Linaway and on Instagram at David Linaway. So check me out there. Say hello. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you real soon.